Hi, this is Jordan Greska, and I endured six classes with Tommy Weber, and this is The One Conversation. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, Tribeca, my hometown, the greatest city in the world. This is The Conversation with Tommy Weber. I am Tommy Weber. Welcome aboard today's show. We've got a lot online. We've got the Masters just wrapping up. We're going to hit some analytics. I've got a guest, guest host, Jordan Greska. Jordan, my uh, former student at St. John's University, sport management major, and now out in the uh, working world, is going to come in every once in a while and co-host as a matter of fact, Jordan was uh, somewhat the impetus for me doing this. He had uh, prodded me to do this for the last four years as he took my classes. Uh, Jordan, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm grateful for the invite. Well, you always have a standing invitation with me, my friend. Um, a number of uh, sports topics that we're going to get into today. Um, I know you've got a lot on your mind, uh, so why don't you lead us off and tell me what you got? Yeah, absolutely. A couple of different things we're going to run into. The first one is the Los Angeles Angels prize of Otani. We have a little bit of a hitting pitching scenario going on, and there's a lot of interesting things to touch base with that. Yes. Um, I, someone asked me this question, and I said very simply, an organization that has some intellectual courage will take this and run with it. Um, they'll realize that he is an asset, a valuable asset, and they will use him uh, as you would any other valuable asset in any other business. Use him uh, to uh, the, the benefit of the organization and the benefit of the team. Um, I think the danger with a kid like this is trying to make sure that he's uber safe and uh, babying him so that you really don't get anything out of him on either end of the ball as a pitcher or a hitter. I think you've got to throw a little bit of caution to the wind. If you've committed to having a two-way player, you're going to have to also commit to the fact that he's an added risk. He could get hurt as a pitcher or as a hitter. Uh, And I think that if you try to protect too much against either one, you could lose him for both. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You lose value in something. And the old book of the pitchers running the bases and things like that. So you're saying on Monday when he's playing as a DH or whatever it may be, he's not an injury risk running from first to second. But when he's a pitcher and all of that, it just seems as if it's by default that if you try too much with one, like you said, you're going to lose out on the other. No question. And once they start making adjustments and they have a book on this guy, I want to see if it's more of a one-side success with maybe just the pitching and not as much of the hitting or the opposite. Well, that's why you should never gamble because only time will tell. There's no way to predict what a guy's going to do. What else you got? We got Gabe Kapler, new manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, making some interesting choices as of late. Yes, Gabe Kapler came in knowing it all. One of the reasons why I think Gabe Kapler got booed is not so much because of his ineptitude in the first week in managing, was because when you come in and you think you have it all figured out, it reminds me of a guy, when I was at St. Francis, we had a pitching coach come in in the first day of the season, he brought in footballs and tennis balls and parachutes and had guys running all over the place and he didn't let it marinate, he didn't kind of get his feet wet and ostensibly uh, he blew up our entire season. Um, So thanks a lot, Wally. But he'll go nameless. Um, You you know, you really want to kind of sneak up on people if you're smart, especially when, you know, the the reality is you're you're not uh, reinventing the wheel. Uh, Nobody is, regardless of how much you think you know. And Gabe Kapler doesn't know any more than a thousand other guys know. Uh, And I think Kapler's biggest mistake is his hubris and his arrogance coming in thinking that he was going to reinvent the wheel. Uh, And it blew up in his face in a big way. I mean, when you go out to the mound and you try to bring in a pitcher that isn't in the bullpen warming up, 
Uh, that's an egregious error, and you could very, very quickly lose your club. And if you lose the clubhouse, it's over. And guys right now are starting to think, does this guy know what he's doing? And now he's going to have to prove to them that his way works. They're not a strong team, and unless Jake Arrieta can you know, make 50 starts, uh, they're going to struggle uh, to win a lot of ball games. And Philadelphia is as difficult a place as there is in baseball uh, to manage and play. Absolutely, and this love for analytics goes throughout the sport, I understand, but as we know, usually the smartest person in the room is the one who keeps their mouth shut. So someone who comes in... That's what my wife says. (laughs) Tommy, don't talk. Someone who comes in with something like that, and you're you're a young team, you need to build on chemistry, and he was a guy who was built on chemistry as a baseball player. His analytics weren't great. You kind of need to know what works and what doesn't, and your opening day starters cruising through a game, 63 pitches, you're not yanking them. Right. Right. Really, Sorry. He, you know what, Gabe? Relax. Right. T- slow your roll. Take it easy. You know, a, a little humility would go a long way to Gabe Kapler being having a, a successful run in Philadelphia, if that's even possible at this point. What else you got? We also have the Odell Beckham situation going on right now, which could be very interesting for the NFL season. I first guessed this one. I said a while ago, the minute I saw Odell Beckham start to exhibit some interesting personality issues, uh, serious immaturity, um, and start to become a distraction to the Giants, Uh, I thought to myself, you know what? He's a wide receiver. Uh, You'd have to go deep into history and not find anybody who a team could not do without who had played the wide receiver position, and that includes Jerry Rice. Um, He is a wide receiver. His perception, his perceived value right now is far greater than his actual value because you can replace him. The Giants have much more pressing needs, and stability is worth more than any one player unless it's a great quarterback or uh, a left tackle. Um, So what I would do, and I said this early, I said this last year, I would make Odell Beckham my Herschel Walker. I would do everything I could to package him for as many draft picks and players as I possibly could, trade one for ten if I could, and say goodbye at this point in time and cut my losses. I really think if you hitch your wagon to this guy, you're asking for trouble. He is now, the secret is out. He's, he's made it very clear he's going to be a problem, and that problem may only get worse. And you've got to hope that he stays healthy. He's a small receiver, gets hit a lot. Uh, the minute he's not capable of being at the top of the food chain, I think the problems with him can increase, uh, and I would cut my losses right now if I were the Giants organization. Absolutely, and for no rhyme or reason, you've been on this topic with him for a while before these trade rumors started, and you've always had the point to say is he doesn't bring enough to deal with right. the antics. Right. He's a cancer to the team right. no matter what. It started with the cleats and the this and the rules and the bending this. And and the trip to Florida during the playoffs. <laughs> you put it. You put a guy in his spot, how many catches less are you really going to get? Uh, could, listen, listen. It's a two-way street. The quarterback has to— It's why history is such a great teacher. The Seattle Mariners got rid of two of perhaps, arguably, the greatest 10 players the game has ever seen. Alex Rodriguez and Ken Griffey Jr. The following year, they set the record in the American League for wins because you don't have to not play. You don't now because you trade Alex Rodriguez and Ken Griffey Jr. play without a center fielder, a shortstop, or a third baseman. You get to replace them. So if those guys pick it up and a couple of other guys contribute, you could make up the difference. No, you're not going to totally make up the difference, but the reality is you can win without, without these guys. That's what history tells you. And I think the, giant, the Giants have to kind of man up here a little bit and really think about what the implications are of re-signing a guy who has already told them he is trouble. Here's the reality. He's not hot enough to continue dating. 
It's like a woman. If she's crazy, she's going to always be crazy. Unless, like, she's Leonardo DiCaprio's girlfriend, and then maybe you deal with it for about seven months, and then that's the end of that. But Odell Beckham, <laughs> at this point in time, is not Leonardo DiCaprio's girlfriend. He's just not that hot. It's the way it goes. Right. Absolutely. You agree with that? Yeah, I agree with it 100%. And I just love how you've been saying this before any of this chatter I did. For, I got to take credit. I did first guess that. I did first guess that. This is Tommy Weber. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, uh, TommyWeber TommyWeberBaseball.com, my website, and on Instagram, Sundays with Tommy. Uh, always um, doing some fun stuff with that. Um, so... We have uh, a segment on the show called Check Swings, and we're going to start with Check Swings. And, Jordan, what's the topic for today? Today we're going to go into the world of analytics and one of our favorites, Launch Angle. Launch Angle. Okay. Okay. So Launch Angle, for those of you who are uninitiated, um, (laughs) well, those of you who are uninitiated probably know exactly what Launch Angle is. For those of you who are initiated, Launch Angle is the theory that um, you want to hit the ball in the air more often. So... uh, Launch angle is just simply the bat, when the bat makes contact with the ball, what the angle is that the ball takes off at. Every ball has a launch angle, all right, even a ground ball, because every ball is in the air for a certain period of time, just that some balls, of course, are hit in the air for a longer period of time, right? A ground ball is in the air very short, a line drive is shorter, a fly ball is a little longer. Uh, The theory is, a la Chris Bryant, who, by the way, in the interest of full disclosure, drove in 76 runs last year. Um, that he wants to hit four fly balls a game. He says if he flies out four times a game that he's happy. Um, I guess that's how you get 76 RBIs. Uh, My issue with launch angle is this. Uh, Yeah, I'd love to hit a ball over the center fielder's head every single time. Problem is that there's a guy at 60 feet 6 inches who has something to say about that. He's thrown the ball 93, 94 miles an hour. I don't get to tee it up. It's not like golf where I pick a certain club and the launch angle is built into the mechanics of the club, and it's going to go higher or lower accordingly. Um, The problem is I'm going to miss a lot. And if I'm aiming high and I miss high, those are all outs, number one. That's number one. Number two is if you can't back up the outfielders on a regular basis, you do not want to be hitting the ball in the air a lot. Lastly, 7% of all players who play the game play in college. So that means 93% of people who play this game never get past high school. So what you really should be teaching is something that 100% of the guys could really appreciate. And at the high school level, what you want to do is put the ball in play. And you probably don't want to hit a lot of fly balls because guys aren't as developed physically. They can't move the ball as far. Ergo, you wouldn't want them hitting fly balls because they will be fly balls that the right fielder, left fielder, and center fielder will be running in to catch. So, yes, if I had my, if I could fungo the ball, I would stand at the pitcher's mound and I'd hit it over the center fielder's head every time. But I don't get to do that. There are a lot of variables um, that come into play. And uh, one of the things about launch angle is it doesn't kind of account for, well, it doesn't at all account for the fact that every game, every pitch, every pitcher, every situation is different. Everyone. Um, I'm sure that. Uh, you know, Bill Buckner is not too happy that a ground ball got hit in 1986, and Mookie Wilson is happy that he made contact with that ball. And um, there are many times during a ball game where all you need to do is make contact. Run is second and third early in the game with nobody out. You better hit a ground ball to second base, drive in a run, move another runner over. The next guy hits a fly ball. Well, you got two runs without scoring a hit. 
Um, so I think what you're going to start to see, uh, this is like any other fad, is it'll come into fashion. It'll come in hot and heavy, which it has. People will adopt it like it's some kind of you know religion. That's really what it is. It's become a fundamentalism. You can't even question it. Otherwise, you get bullied off of Twitter. Um, and then I think uh, cooler heads will prevail. Prevail. Pitchers will start to elevate the ball in the strike zone because it's hard to hit the ball up. That's up. Um, and then hitters will have to make a commensurate adjustment. So uh, that's my take on launch angle. How about that? I agree. Baseball is all adjustments, first off. It goes against the grain of everything that you've been told for the last 100 years in this game, which is also why I don't like it, because it creates bad habits. And In young players especially. Right. And I look at a guy like Cody Bellinger on the Los Angeles Dodgers. His swing is made for that. He's had that swing since he was a kid, and there's a different when it goes about the type of player. But not everyone is made for this launch angle. It doesn't fit their game, and people have to realize that they can't fall in love with this. As you said, if it is a fad and the bad habits start getting created, it's going to snowball. It's going to be a snowball and as a lot of And just like a lot of fads, people... You know, it's like miracle medicines and, and, and all this other stuff that people advertise on television. All people ever talk about are the successes. What people don't talk about are the Juan Ligarises, who supposedly was hitting the ball in the airway. It's going to be a whole different Juan Ligaris. Well, guess what? He's the same Juan Ligaris he was for all, and he probably will be forever. And a lot of the reason is Juan Ligaris doesn't have any command of the strike zone, swings at bad pitches, turns counts against him, which is really the key to hitting. If you want to hit, you want to get the count in your favor. It makes hitting a lot more, a lot easier. Uh, Juan Ligaris is still, his approach still stinks regardless of what his intent is with respect to the angle at which he's going to hit the ball. There is an awful lot that you have to do right to determine how high or low the ball is going to go. And you're asking for somebody to do something exact in an activity that is filled with inexactness. Just my take on it. Just my take on it. What else? What do we got? Pitch counts. Pitch counts. Okay. All right. I, I hate it. I don't understand the, the love for it. Well, you're, you know, you're old, you know what they would tell you? You know what the guys on Twitter would say? You're old school. The game has passed you by. You're old school. Right? That's reason. what they say. Whenever somebody's trying to discount you, they say you're old and you're operating in the dark ages. That's how they kind of marginalize you. They, and you're a young guy, and think about it. They can't marginalize you by virtue of the fact that you're older, but they can. By, they would probably say, well, you're not involved. You just don't get it. They'd pat you on the head and sort of take pity on you for your ignorance. They would. So, you know, we have a big age gap, and we feel the same way about it. So both of us can't be old school because you don't know old school. Um, so it's interesting to me that somebody of your generation would have uh, such an issue with something that your generation has bought hook, line, and sinker. You guys have drunk the Kool-Aid in mass. It's amazing. It really is fundamentalism at its best. And I don't know, I don't know how it took root, but it has spread like wildfire. You go on Twitter, and these guys are like Nazis when it comes to this stuff. They will hear nothing to the contrary. Not even a whiff of dissent is allowed uh, when it comes to stuff like pitch counts and, adal- and analytics and launch angle. And it's such an inexact game, as you said, and you have someone like the Tampa Bay Rays and things like that, and they don't want their pitchers to go through a lineup three times. So they want shorter outings, which the ERA is higher after a certain inning and things like that. You cannot control that every game. If a guy's cruising along, he's cruising along. 
things can happen, obviously, if you push the limits. But what I really don't like about pitch count is we're going to sit here and get worried when he has 80 pitches. What about when the reliever sits in the bullpen for a 25-minute inning and throws 60 warm-up pitches? That's not accounted for. Right. Or the warm-up pitches he throws in between innings. How about get a guy, don't throw warm-up pitches in between innings. How important can those warm-up pitches possibly be? What else we got? We also have analytics. Yes. Analytics, my favorite. I love analytics. I'm a big analytics guy. You know what I like about analytics? Here's my take on it. Aaron Boone rested a kid who had two home runs the night before because Sonny Gray was in the game, and he said Sonny Gray throws a lot of ground balls. Sonny Gray is going to pitch like four or five innings. Uh, And we wanted Neil Walker, who's not a first baseman, but to second baseman, to play first base on field turf in the Rogers Center, which you could really play without a glove. So you sacrifice. You don't know. How do you know that Tyler Austin's not going to hit another two home runs the next day? And why would you take a guy who's hot and take a chance on making him cold by sitting him down early in the season? To me, those kinds of matchup, and if I hear the word matchup again, I'm going to, but matchups fall on their face. If, if, if they used analytics in 1941, Joe DiMaggio could never have hit in 56 straight games because somewhere along the line, Joe D would have faced someone who he was 0 for 12 against in 1939, okay? <laughs> and the manager would have said, listen, Joe, we got Bill over here who's 2 for 6 against him four years ago. You're going to have to sit down, I guess, 32 games in a row have to be enough. Literally. I mean, that's really what we're looking at. That's why you have a guy like Dave Roberts who takes a guy out with a perfect game like three times or four times last year because it's irrelevant. What's happened now is the information has owned the user. It's like really a baseball science fiction movie. The information owns the user. The user no longer owns the information because even if in your heart of hearts you know this is the best move to make, if the mathematics tells you it's not, I've got to listen to the mathematics. Well, in my opinion, that's the technological lunatics running the asylum. How's that? We've got to get that on tape. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> this is like my class. <laughs> Spot on. It's like when people say, I have a fever. No, the fever has you. So here's the problem. With numbers especially, the numbers do not lie, but the numbers absolutely lie in the game of baseball. Because I could sit here and look at your stats and say, oh, well, he's hitting 666 against this guy. Let's hit him. But you had a huge argument with someone in the clubhouse before the game. Now what? Oh, well, now he's in a pissy mood. You and your wife had a fight the night before. And everyone, You and your wife and your girlfriend had a fight the, other, right. the night before. Your spring once. training girlfriend right, right. found out right. about exactly. your girlfriend in Cleveland. Exactly. exactly. So now you're going to be it's terrible. <laughs> You're not in the right mental state, and there's no sheet, there's no computer, there's nothing that says that. Take the temperature of your team. The most important thing that a manager can do in any business is take the temperature of his employees and his team. Where are we today? How do we feel? How does Joe respond to day games after night games? How does Bill come in? You know, Bill's on a hot streak. Should I ride? I want to know arcs. I want to know where you are in the arc. I want to know when you're on the ascend and when you're on the descend. And that's what I want to know more than anything about the opposition that comes into town. Who's hot, who's not? Because who's hot may tell me, you know what, if he's a really good player for the last five years and he's cold, now I think maybe he's due. I want to be careful with that guy because I know one thing. He's going to break out against somebody, and I don't want it to be against me. So I would not necessarily think that that's going to last forever. That's going to end, and I don't want it ending with me. I'm going to, If George Brett is 0 for 12, 
I'm not going to choose to pitch to George Brett because the math tells me to do so. He's still George Brett. Or Miguel Cabrera is still Miguel Cabrera, even though he's not hot. And, you know, the other thing that the analytics don't do is they don't account for the fact that the one constant in life is change. So if I'm 2 for 10 against CC Sabathia in 2009, and, you know, and you're two for ten against them in 2000. It's two different pitchers over those last six or seven, eight, nine years. He's a different pitcher. So those stats don't even count. You have to throw them out because it's not CC Sabathia of old anymore. He's a different pitcher. So the numbers don't mean the same, and there's no way of accounting for that. None. Game seven of the World Series, two outs, bases loaded, down one. You know who you want up with the numbers? Pablo Sandoval, because guess what? His right. numbers in the playoffs scream. Right. But right. do you really want Pablo Sandoval? Absolutely up? not. Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Absolutely. I'd rather have. I, I no. I would not want Pablo. I don't want Pablo Sandoval up in any situation because he's four hundred <laughs> pounds. Other than that, uh, I don't need him. We are going to take a break. We will be right back after this. One thing I'd like you to take a look at, hashtag 4Mom. Braden Bishop and Hunter Bishop. Hunter played for us in the Cape this year. He's a center fielder at Arizona State. Braden Bishop is a top prospect in the Seattle Mariners organization. Established a 4Mom charity, which is a fight for awareness and against Alzheimer's as the Bishops battle uh, Alzheimer's right now. Uh, Braden and Hunter's mom is suffering from that terrible disease. So, Hunter, uh, you're never far from our thoughts and prayers. Just check it out. Go online. Say hello. Give some support. We are back. Ronnie Wood, Jeff Beck. And Rod Stewart, the faces, badass. On the line right now, longtime friend of mine, we are two for two. Uh, in 2011, Neil Barbella was uh, my bench coach with the Staten Island Tide as we uh, summited that season to a fabulous championship in the ACBL. A lot of great players on that team. I believe we had the greatest amateur outfield ever assembled. Um, Neil, uh, in the meantime, um, won about, I don't know, 15 conference championships in college baseball. Uh, And then in 2017, we were fortunate enough to uh, once again hook up in the uh, Cape Cod League with the Brewster Whitecaps and do the same in very, very epic fashion as we uh, set a record uh, and summited in the best league in the country 2017 Cape Cod League champions, my friend Neil Barbella. How are you, pal? Hello, Thomas. Wonderful today. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Is the weather ever going to get warm, or is this basically it? <laughs> is basically it. it. <laughs> I have uh, spent the summer chasing my daughter's team around uh, the greater northeast, and I think it'll break in June sometime. <laughs> And the season will be a month over by the time that happens. Uh, but, Maybe a little more. Right, right. Um, you know what they say, everybody complains about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. So we've been down this road a million times. We've talked about this, you know, a million times. It's just very, very tough playing in the Northeast. It's one of the, um, it's one of the real handicaps uh, of playing in the Northeast. You know, we were talking before a little bit about analytics, Neil, and um, 
you know, you and I, uh, obviously, the conversation, just so that everybody knows, is, is, was born of the realization that this summer, uh, after we won the championship and we sat back and really thought about, you know, what we had done, uh, in essence, it was a summer-long conversation. And our players, I think, really benefited from uh, that conversation that we had with them, that we engaged uh, in with them every day, and that you, I, Jason, Jamie, and the rest engaged in every day and night during a, a very, very difficult grind of a season. Um, I, I, I just, I know we've talked about this a million times, probably talked about it this morning, um, but uh, w- where are we going with this? Where, where you know, w- how did it take a foothold and, and, and just talk a little bit about uh, the role that analytics now plays in the game. It's become very prevalent in everything I see um, inside the game of baseball, from the Twitter people to the people on Facebook and people marketing themselves, pitching instructors, pitching right. instructors, so on and so forth. Right. How much? What, what's the requisite time that you need to have played? What a half hour, and you get some like a a garage and. A videotape machine. Much, you, know, you know, the old joke between us was always all you need is a piece of turf and a net in your garage, and you're a hitting guru. Right, with a laboratory. And and now it's gotten even more, you know, easy because you can add some electronic gizmos. Right, right. And without any knowledge whatsoever, front toss a ball to a hitter, <laughs> show his exit velocity at 75 degrees, 75 <laughs> miles per hour, excuse me, and uh, feel, you know, tell him that he's making progress and. Right. Charge him $150 an Neil, hour. Neil, what do I call front toss? <laughs> it's a T-ball, pretty much. <laughs> it's, it's underhand. It's un- it's we underhand. used to call it, isn't that, un- like, when your kid is like three years old, what do you do? You throw it underhand. That's what front right, toss is. Right, try to keep it on the level that he guys we hit. Right, right. <laughs> Just so that everybody knows, that's what front toss is. That's what front toss is. Right. Correct. Yeah, so, you know, Neil, I, I talk a lot about... Um, the day in Katuit when uh, we had the kid looking back at the velocity machine, the scoreboard in the center field of Katuit that shows all the velocities. Uh, and um, how sad it was that that kid, every time he hit 89, tried to hump it up and throw 90 so that he didn't care. He could care less about where he threw the ball, how effective right. he was. How come man? Absolutely nothing. Right. Right. There what, was one thing on his mind, and it's funny. I really look back at that day, and I think that was a groundbreaking day for us because anybody that was near us on the bench noticed that we noticed, and we basically were laughing about it. Right, right. So the, the players then noticed that we weren't giving that credibility. Absolutely. Like, that was silliness to us. Who cares how hard you're throwing the ball? And that kid would actually snap his neck back that he was lucky he didn't get hit by the throwback from the catcher on the side of the head <laughs> because he was too busy looking at the miles per hour. And it became a, a running joke during the game that the other you know, the guys on the bench were like, what, what exactly is he doing? Then when they found out it was okay for them to say something, they actually got more involved with us. And it kind of broke the ice as we went along during the season, and they figured that they could talk to us, and they weren't held back. There were no restrictions, uh, and it truly was a conversation. Yeah, it really was. Pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. Two for two, pal. Two for two. It's pretty cool, right? I it's, got... it, it's good stuff. It's it really is. Really hard to you know to tell some people that just won't understand it. You know, 
I think we appreciate it too, so we really know how hard winning is. Very hard. And very hard to do, and all during the season. I mean, we were a 500 team, and it, you know, you you'd get to Orleans, and the next kid would come out of the bullpen throwing 95. The next kid get out of the bullpen throwing 95. I was like, when does this end? But when you play in that type of league, you know, that's what you have to expend, uh, expect. And it was very difficult on a night-in, night-out basis. But I give the coaching staff and the, and the players on the team a lot of credit, and I'm sure you've discussed that at length, but it was, uh, it was a special time. Yeah, I got uh, my, my former student, Jordan Gresko, here, who basically would not have his degree if it weren't for the six classes that he uh, took with me. Um, but, you know, he doesn't even bring pastry. All right, that's all I'm saying. He comes <laughs> comes on the show, Neil, no Alba. Uh, he didn't even go Alfonso, nothing. Not, not, not a, even an Edmonds, come on. Not, not, even, <laughs> not even a crumb cake. Uh, Jordan, what do you got? Neil, pleasure to speak with you. Congratulations on the win with Brewster and everything like that. And I definitely love to hear what you preach about it because, as you said, the 89 to 90 means nothing. We know the most important thing is outs. 27 outs, the most valuable thing you can have and the most valuable thing you need to get. So you look at something like that and where a kid is going into worrying about miles per hour every pitch, you should be worried about outs. And I'm sure you could preach about that. You know, it's amazing that... You have to understand, especially with the younger guys. I think parents lose lose track of this too. It it, it it's a team game. It's you know for the most part, if it's just that seven inning game and the twenty one outs that they have to record, it it doesn't matter. The, the bigger kids are going to throw the ball harder. The, the bigger kids are going to hit the hit the ball further. But it doesn't mean that the little second baseman can't hit the twenty seven hopper through the middle and score the winning run. Amen. And it, ha- it happened today. You know, even today, just watching the major league games, you know, that's how the Orioles scored. A, a little thing off the end of the bat, it gets through the hole, and the winning one scores. I mean, I get it. Launch angle's great. Exit velocity is, is, is good. Tommy and I talk about this a lot, and that's the driving range aspect that they're trying to make baseball. I watch these guys from driveline throw a baseball against the wall at 103 <laughs> miles an hour. And I'm just waiting for the funny video when it comes. It's not going to be that, that funny, but a little comical. When the guy's arm comes off, and <laughs> we're on that way. And you they're know? all screaming, and dial 911, dial 911. Right, exactly. Right. And the boys, I, just, you know. Yes, absolutely. It's like a Saturday Night, Night Live skit. Yep, yep. Absolutely, absolutely. The, you know, the, the weightlifters, Hans and Franz. Right, and they exactly. Lift, you know, right. They're arms Oh, my God, they ripped his arm. His arms are absolutely. Right. Yeah, it is it is, it is comical. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, your take on it is, as usual, uh, spot on. This is Tommy Webber. You're listening to the conversation. We got Neil Barbella, bench coach, 2017 Brewster Whitecaps champions. Jordan Greska's in the in the studio with us today. St. John's graduate, my sport management guy, great guy. He'll nice do with us you. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, Neil, um, talk to us a little bit about your your passion for college baseball. My passion for college baseball started a very long time ago, and I think it was just kind of a niche thing because we we have a bunch of colleges in the area that were local. And growing up, I knew some of my friends played some, you know, and I and I followed them. And I was in, I was in the golf business at the time, and but I always loved the game of baseball. It was a passion of mine. And then 
with cable TV, so on and so forth, there were a couple more games available every once in a while. And it was interesting to see some teams from across the country. And that just blossomed into me really getting back into the game, following it probably a little bit more than I should have for a normal person. But, you know, <laughs> I've never, watching I've never of, noticed. <laughs> I never noticed. I know. It, it, you know, and as I speak to you now, Auburn, Arkansas, four four in the oh, you know the bottom of the eighth oh, inning, Get watching the SEC channel. Get but I'm, know, call, I'm calling Doctor Levine right now. He'll be over. He'll, he makes house calls. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an issue. But you know, uh, got into coaching at the high school level, and then got into coaching at the college level a couple of years later. Did it for about twenty years, but all during that time, you know, always like to watch and appreciate the higher levels. The higher level for me started when Frank Del George and Mr. Tommy Weber asked me to coach uh, the Metro Cadets in the ACBL. I don't and, don't uh, don't go into too much detail, okay? Because <laughs> you could, you okay. know where all the you know where all the bodies are buried. But go ahead, bodies are buried. I know. There are skeletons in the closet. I know. So God knows. Um, we you know that led into something now with uh, conversations with Jamie Shevchik from the Bruce Whitecaps and following people and knowing the players out there just by watching them and, you know, having an idea of what they do. And with the advent of these hundreds of uh, channels that are available now, there's so many games on, it's, it's easier, you know, to follow it and turn, you know, turns into a kind of a fun experience um, because after the past summer coaching a bunch of these guys, you know, you turn on the TV and there's a couple of players standing at the first base, you know, giggling with each other and, it's, that was a pretty pretty cool experience this weekend to watch something like that. Uh, one of our favorites, Tony Losey from the University of Georgia, got a win the other night. Yes, sir. Uh, Tony, did you see Tony's growing a little bit of a mustache or something? Yeah, that's got to go. <laughs> that's got to go. That's brutal. So, so I texted him. I said, nice win. You got a little dirt on your upper lip. <laughs> and <laughs> he was uh, he, he gave me a couple of LOLs on the side back and thanked me. But, Great guy. Um, great guy. This is a lot of fun, you know, being involved and trying to build a roster and fill some spots and, you know, hopefully uh, having the right eye. And, and you, meet, you know, you meet some people, meet some connections. We met a great connection with some with the associate head coach, Bill Moisello of TCU, offered us a couple of players up this past summer. So relationships grow and we start branching out. It's kind of interesting because the league, as Tommy said a million times, is the top of the food chain. Yep. Nobody leaves to go to a better league unless they're going to pro ball. Listen, Neil, uh, I've always said this. Um, the first rule about having guys coach with you is they got to be good guys and they got to buy in. It's way more important than the X's and O's. Aside from knowing the X's and O's as well as you do, you're one of the best guys I know. And it's been a privilege and it's going to continue to be a privilege. I'm thankful for our friendship. Mostly I'm thankful for the two championships that you are as much responsible for as anybody else. And I want to congratulate you and uh, – I know that when you come into the studio, you will be bringing something because you don't come yeah, em- you don't come empty-handed <laughs> like uh, like this Medigan over here, <laughs> Jordan Greska. I'm still, I, you know, but he's going to be able to come back. I'll give him another chance, but uh, I'm going to let you go now. I'm going to thank you for coming on, and you'll come in the studio. Jordan, you'll learn a lesson from this, and Tommy, thank you very much, and I appreciate everything you've done for me. My you. partner, pal. Thank you, Neil. Two for two. Take See you care. later. See you later. Bye. Neil Barbella. Bye-bye. Great segment, great segment, great guy. Um, We are going to 
wrap up the show now. Jordan, I want to thank you so much for coming by. You were fabulous. Thank you uh, for having me. We, uh, uh, we're going to do it again. It's, uh, it's been a blast. Remember, this. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, TommyWeberBaseball.com. Please visit us. Instagram, Sundays with Tommy. Um, I want to thank everybody. Neil Barbella, Jordan Greska. It's been a great show. We will see you once again. This is Fred and Florence's Kids saying thank you very much.